بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا اما بعد قال الله سبحانه وتعالى الذين يبلغون رسالات الله ويخشونه ولا يخشون احدا الا الله وكفى بالله حسيبا ما كان محمد ابا احد من احد من رجالكم ولكن رسول الله وخاتم النبيين وكان الله بكل شيء عليما يا ايها الذين امنوا اذكروا الله ذكرا كثيرا وسبحوه بكره واصيلا هو الذي يصلي عليكم وملائكته ليخرجكم من الظلمات الى النور وكان بالمؤمنين رحيما صدق الله العظيم respected elders and brothers mothers and sisters dear listeners assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh we thank Allah Azza wa Jal that even in this weather, He has allowed you and I to gather here today. Uh, and we ask Allah Azza wa Jal to make this rain a source of mercy for us and not a source of difficulty for us. I mean, uh, last week we spent the entire time speaking about uh, the various ways how, how a person may be uh, misled. And then when he is misled and disobeys Allah Azza wa Jal, how it can take him so far away and the ways to return after a person has uh, uh, committed those mistakes. And to note, I, I also translated this verse uh, last week, ayah number 39, but inshallah we'll spend a little bit more time about it. This is the verse where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about uh, and the aspect of propagating uh, whatever, whatever you and I know. Those who convey the heavenly message of Allah and fear Him and who do not fear anyone except for Allah are praiseworthy. And sufficient is Allah as a just reckoner. So this ayah here, my beloved friends, is reminding us that uh, you know, you, whatever you have inside you will pour out. Whatever you have inside you will pour out. So if a person is filled with fikr and concern for the ummah, it will come out. If a person is, is, uh, is genuinely interested in the well-being of his brethren and the community, people will sense it. Uh, and a person who says, what's with me and the people? As long as I uh, achieve my goals in life, as long as I even do my own ibadah, memorize my own Quran, memorize this and that, do my, my dhikr, who cares what happens in society? Who cares what happens amongst my family members? So then you're going to say that the internal heart is empty, void of this amazing, important part of our faith, which is concern for humanity. And it is part of our true iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we feel concerned about the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that we love them and that we try to guide them to the right path. So a person who sits there in a masjid, majlis like this, he's sitting there benefiting, or he's giving benefit to others, or he's benefiting himself. A majlis of ilm, a majlis of dhikr. And or a person who's sitting here in this masjid alone, after fajr, after isha, and benefiting. He learned an explanation of a verse of the Qur'an. He learned an explanation of a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. Learned something from the seerah. But along with that, he desires so that he could share this with others then subhanallah, this desire to share with others is one of the greatest sadaqahs he has given. Because there is no greater sadaqah than establishing the truth. 
and sharing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's message of the Qur'an. That's the greatest sadaqah you can do. That is the greatest freedom you can give anyone. To free them from a life of sin, for, to free them from a life of slavery to their nafs, uh, for, uh, slavery to their desires, slavery to the isms of the world. When you go share with them a powerful message, you literally unshackle them. And what does the Qur'an say? وَمَنْ أَحْيَاهَا فَكَأَنَّمَا أَحْيَا النَّاسَ جَمِيعًا Whoever gives life to one soul is like he's given life to the, all of humanity. So you're in reality giving life to people when you share knowledge with them. Knowledge is like rain, right? That, that pours down and then brings out lush green grass and vegetation and flowers and, and all sorts of beautiful things. So the knowledge that we have, part of the zakat on that wealth, on that knowledge is that we share with others. If we are not giving and don't care about giving to others, then this is like we're doing bukhl and we are being stingy with the knowledge Allah has given. So if you, you and I want to know what is our status with Allah, what is our status with the Prophet ﷺ, ask yourself, how many people have you invited towards Allah? Right? How many people have you invited towards Rasulullah ﷺ? That's the reality of how much love you have for Allah and His Rasul. How much love, you, how, how much your status is with them and how much status they have with you. Because if you truly love them, you can't stop speaking about them. مَنْ أَحَبَّ شَيْئًا أَكْثَرَ ذِكْرَهُ Whoever loves something will constantly be speaking about that. And if you, if you love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and love the Prophet ﷺ, you cannot remain quiet. You see someone speaking ill of Allah and His Rasul, you see someone breaking the orders of Allah and His Rasul ﷺ, you can't sit there and give a blind eye. You cannot sit there and say, oh, it's not my business. My beloved friends, how do we get excited about teams, sports teams? How do people get excited about various uh, you know, sports in the, across the world, be it soccer, be it cricket, be it American football? be it basketball, such a ajeeb level of craze where the people will become so emotional, people will get so excited. Why? Because you simply said one player is better than the other. And I disagree with that. And it will become so, such a passionate discussion and where people will genuinely sometimes get offended or offend someone else. And you know, all sorts of things happen. When sports, is, it plays such a huge role in the world today. And uh, a person cannot accept that his, his, his team is being made fun of. His team is losing. People have taken their lives when their teams lose. People have attacked players. People have killed players when they have uh, lost, for example. So this type of ghayra, you want to call it, this type of extra jealousy over sports, put that into the, into, into the deen. That when a person loves Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam, you cannot simply say, you know, uh, it, doesn't make a, it doesn't make a difference to me. So if we want to know what is our relationship with Allah, let's ask ourselves, how many people's hands have I held and took them to Allah? How many people's hands have I t I've held and take, took them to the Prophet ﷺ, right? How many people have I guided them to the right path? My beloved brothers and sisters, this is, what you're, you, this is your status with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is your status with Rasulullah This is the love you genuinely have. Uh, for them is how much you're constantly with your actions, with your speech, not only with your speech, but with your actions, you're guiding people towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is an incident mentioned in hadith that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down uh, an angel to, uh, to, uh, you know, to destroy a nation. And when he went to go destroy that nation, he came back and said, Ya Allah, there is a servant of yours in this, in this community. Lam he has not disobeyed you even for a blink of an eye. Blink of an eye. We've been watching him. He hasn't disobeyed you. Are you? I mean, you, you know, you're a'lamul. You are. You are the a'lam. You are the most knowledgeable. 
you are the Arham, most merciful, but we, we, may we ask, there is a person here who has never disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, never disobeyed you. What should we do? And the response that was given to him was, Aqlib alayhi wa alayhim, that flip over the entire town and destroy him first and destroy the rest. Kill him first. He needs to go first. But he never disobeyed you even once. Why should he go first? Because he never even frowned when he saw my disobedience being taking place in his community. He never even frowned. It didn't affect him. Here my commands are being broken and you, you don't even feel bad about it? Allahu Akbar, your ibadah all night, I don't want to hear it. Your ibadah all day, I don't want to hear it. When you saw people around you sinning, why did it not affect you? Why it didn't hurt you? What's the true love? It's ajeeb, my dear friends, this is very deep. Because all of us at the end of the day have this selfish feeling. When you're doing ibadah for your jannah, although it's 100% allowed, but deep down it's for our selfish reasons. We want to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so we get our paradise, we get Allah's pleasure. That's there. But what about this selfless love for Allah? That Ya Allah, I'm on my way to jannah, but I look at a person over there, he's disobeying you. And I feel bad for your deen. This is not how your deen should be treated. Even though I'm set, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But why is he doing that? So I feel bad for what he's doing, he's gonna go towards hell. But on top of that, I feel bad for your deen, that your deen is being treated like this. I feel bad that your name is being trampled like this. I feel bad that your, act- your commands are being trampled. So here you have the selfless love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You understanding? Because you're set, you're doing your ibadah. But then you just feel bad that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's awamir, Allah's commands are being treated like this. He said, this is not right. My Lord shouldn't be treated like this. Right? So when a person sees his someone beloved to him being attacked, Verbally, in his absence. If you have love, you can't sit there and just watch someone attack your mother, father, sibling, son, daughter, wife, whatever. You're gonna stand up, even though physically they're not hurting them right now. They're not even present. They may be passed away. But the ghayra within you will not allow their honor to be attacked like this. You'll get upset. So here you go. This is the true test of faith that you cannot see the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being played around with. It creates within you this ajeeb level of worry and frustration and anger. That why is this happening? Moving to the second part, yuballighuna, those who propagate, right? Those who convey. So you're a delivery man. You order food. Someone orders food from, you know, a restaurant. You're delivering. Whatever food was del- ordered, that's exactly what you're supposed to deliver. You don't add on the way, open up the box and say, hey, I don't think it's that spicy, let me add some spices in here. Right? <laughs> I t- while driving, tasting, and say, it's not salty enough, let me add a little bit of salt. Imagine what happens if the customer finds out that's what you've been doing in the car. Tasting and adding a little bit things, making it a little bit, you know, just right. That's not what you're supposed to do. You get fired. Apparently that's what happened overseas in India, I, I heard about it. You read about this? I mean, this was, a, this was an article that just talking about how the drivers are so pushed. They're being pushed so much, they don't have time to 
even go to the bathroom. They don't have time to even eat because they have to fulfill deliveries. And they're so hungry. They just open up one of the items and just eat a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yansa roti, Right? A little bit of roti. This was happening. So then they went and they got really, you know, these are multinational what you call them, uh, companies, of, you know, large companies that are working in all parts of the world, but they pay their workers so less. They don't have time for it. They don't give them time to eat as well. So this is what we're speaking about, that tabligh is delivery as is. You don't add, you don't subtract. That's not what our job is. Right? Sayyidina Siddiq, Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu said, Innama ana muttabi' wa laysa bimubtadi' Indeed, I am a follower, not an innovator. I'm a follower, not an innovator. But today, we have people who wish to be innovators. And innovation, maybe I spoke about this last week too. Innovation is not just what's happening in, in, in India, Pakistan, and, and other parts of the South Asia, where people, some certain people unfortunately are worshipping graves of the pious and doing all sorts of things related to that which is of course very wrong and shirk and things of that sort different levels of shirk there or different levels of bid'ah but the very center of bid'ah is our own country and our universities which are which are which are creating a complete new ideas and that's a bid'ah bid'ah right here that sometimes we think bid'ah is just worshipping the grave and there seems to be this huge Naturally should be opposition to that and books being written out in lectures and khutbas coming out of the Middle East on it But we need some more khutbas and talks on the bid'ah that comes out of our universities Right? There's unfortunately that's not even spoken about what we call ilhad fikri the complete uh, intellectual heresy intellectual apostasism Right? That's that is that is overtaking our Our young minds all over the world So our job is also tabligh not adding nor subtracting from it so no matter how intelligent you and I have uh, become we will never be able to understand better than Rasulullah that's foolishness to think that remember no matter how intelligent you are you're still creation and Allah is creator so you are mahdud you are constricted in your understanding and Allah is unrestricted you are aware, he's all, he is, you, are, you are ignorant, he's all aware. You are in need, he is free of all want and need. You are, uh, your existence is, 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 was caused, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's existence is uncaused. Right? It came from before uh, the existence of anything else. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has always perpetually been present. So this is, a person has to humble himself to say, I cannot add stuff to this recipe. Who are we to sit there and add? Okay, risalatillah. Right, the message, the commands, plural, commands of Allah. So you've got aqidah, you've got belief, you've got ibadah, worship, you've got mu'amalat, you've got your financial transactions, you have your adab, you have your etiquettes, your sunan, you have... Then risalatillah also includes the stories of the people of the past, stories of the people of the future, Belief in Allah, belief in the messenger, messengers, belief in the books, belief in the angels, belief in predestiny. And then the commands of fasting, zakat, salm, hajj, talaq, uh, ziwaj, marriage, all the etiquettes related to that. All of this is risalatillah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, dinakum, I have completed your deen. You cannot add anything into that. So the job of these muballigh, 
these prophets and those who follow in their footsteps is what? To convey it the way Allah asked them to convey it. Now, what is a da'idu? What is the, what is the attributes of an inviter towards Allah? There's so many. There's so many beautiful qualities of a da'i. Obviously, he's going to be a Muslim, Mu'min, Qanit, Abid. We just did all of that in the first page of 22. Right? He's going to be fasting. He's going to be doing all sorts of things. However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse mentions just a few qualities. Okay, there's hundreds of attributes of people who invite towards Allah. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just mentioned main one over here. What does that tell you? That this is the most important one. Okay, you, a, a car has four doors or two doors. It has a hood, it has a bonnet, it has a, it has a roof, it has a sunroof maybe, it has chairs, seats. These are a million things. But usually, what do we speak about? When you talk about the most important aspect of the car, we we'll start with the engine. Because everything there without the engine is going to be no good at all. Cannot work. That is the asasi part. That is the most fundamental part. So what is the most fundamental engine of this da'i that the Qur'an is speaking about? And this is called, uh, uh, this is called tarabut wujudi. This is the connection between the mosuf and sifa. Such a, a connection between the noun and the adjective that if, those, if that adjective is not present, the noun won't even be present. For example, um, you could talk about an airplane that's got seats. You got an airplane that has uh, wings, or the airplane that's got um, you know a bathroom inside it. Airplane that's got a luggage compartment. So you can see you know all sorts of things. But the, when you're when you're describing the airplane, it's an airplane that's flying. That's it. If you take out the flying part, that's no longer an airplane. That's no longer an airplane. It can have all the other attributes, but if it's not flying, it's not an airplane. That's the most important adjective for a ta'ira to tatiru. Is the, mo- the tatiru, the flying part is the most important aspect of ta'ira. So this is called tarabut wujudi. That this connection between mosuf and sifa, is, between the noun and the adjective, is such an integral part of the thing that you're describing, that if that attribute is no longer there, then the thing you're describing is also gone. It's no longer existing. Hence, here, the most important attribute of a da'i is what? يَخْشَوْنَهُ وَلَا يَخْشَوْنَ أَحَدًا إِلَّا اللَّهِ They fear Allah and they fear none besides Allah. That if this khashiyah, fear of Allah is present, you can be a da'i, you could be a one-leg da'i, two-leg da'i, blind da'i, you know, glasses da'i, intelligent da'i, non-intelligent da'i, whatever, all sorts of things. But without khashiyah, without fear, zero. Nothing. You can have all the mics of the world. You can have all the things at, at your, at your uh, you know, fingertips. But without fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it just doesn't work. Okay, so this is something that would like to, for all of us, this da'i is not the Mulana sahab and the imam sahab of the masjid. Da'i is all of you here. Every single one of us is supposed to recognize that, you know what, I just heard at the beginning of the talk, that if I, if I love Allah, if I, if I truly love Allah, if I truly love the deen, then I have to invite towards the deen. I can't just stay quiet. I can't just stay quiet and say, oh, you know, لَكُمْ دِينُكُمْ وَالْيَدِينَ To your own kids, to your own spouse, to your own siblings, to your own relatives, that you know what, do whatever you want, I do whatever I want. That's not the attitude. Instead, we have to worry about that. Worry about every single one. Worry about the famous. Worry about the non-famous. Worry about the poor. Worry about the rich. Everyone you have to worry about. So now, let's talk about it. If you all, inshallah, have agreed that you're gonna, you are du'at, you are inviters towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then let's think about what, what is the important aspect that you and I need to create within ourselves. And that is fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
that if this if we fear someone besides Allah what's going to happen then then we will speak in order to impress people not to impress Allah we will remain silent when it will impress people not impress Allah because our silence and speech needs to be directed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speak when need to speak in a manner that is pleasing to Allah remain silent when need to silent in order to please Allah not the other way around so many times if a person does not fear Allah azawajal, he will remain silent in front of falsehood because just for the fear of the repercussion of people that he will face and he will speak up in a place when he's not supposed to speak just because he needs to imp- he needs to say things to please people it's so scary this is so 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 scary because when you are uh, leading a, a life in which you are a da'i, attention will be upon you. Your f- attention of your family, attention of your relatives, attention of the people in your community, attention of possibly media, attention of all sorts of that. Now you have to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Should I say what the crowd wants me to say? Should I say what the people want me to say? So that I get a, a round of applause, and I get appreciation, and gifts, and love, and so forth? Or should I say what needs to be said? And it may, fa- it may fall on a dead crowd. It may, they, may be even, they may even boo you. But so what? If this is what needs to be said, it must be said. Because our allegiance is not to the crowd. Our allegiance is not to the audience. Our allegiance is not to anyone besides Allah. And the only reason you got into this whole aspect of tabligh in the first place was what? To please Him. So what's the point of doing tabligh if you're trying to impress people? You might as well st- use your time gardening or something else. There's no need to tabligh if a person is going to sit there and try to appease people. But shaitan, he doesn't want to, first of all, get us involved in da'wah. So he's going to keep us focused on our own actions. And then if we are one of those blessed individuals who care about the ummah, and you spend a few minutes crying about what happens in the ummah, and you start making du'a for them and start inviting them, the next thing is, of course, he's not upset, he's angry at that. So he will try to ruin our intentions. And will make us focus more about optics, It'll make us more focused on presentation, more focused on what do people think of me? How is my message being you know, understood? You know, what do you think about my talk? How did it go? SubhanAllah. Inside his heart, desire that I wish after I share my message, people come up to me and say, what an amazing presentation. What an amazing talk. What an amazing da'wah you gave at a, at a gathering, at a get-together, whatnot. Inside of heart, if this is the desire that people come and praise you for that, and the time that people come and they walk away and they don't praise you. And you feel hurt, you feel upset, frustrated that what's wrong with the people? Not the fact that you're not crying about the fact that they didn't get closer to Allah. You're crying over the fact that they didn't get impressed by you or I. Then we know that there's something major problem with our niyyah. And that's a major issue with the niyyah. The purpose of speaking about the greatness of Allah is not to attract people to the speaker. The purpose is to attract people to Allah. So that's a horrible thing. If, if we're speaking about Allah, but we are focusing on, on our own likes on social media and our own you know, likes in the hearts of the people, that defeats the purpose. We are mere conduits. We're not maqsood. We are not something special. We are leading to someone special. We are leading to the ultimate being, the great, the great Allah Azza wa But ourselves, there's nothing great in it. The tap that gives you water, there's nothing special about that piece of metal. You're nothing, you can, you can take that tap, you can take the tap, pull it off of the faucet, and put it in your, on your hand and try to drink from it all day. Nothing's going to happen. No, you're going to get nothing out of it. Because there is nothing in it. It's just a conduit from which you're receiving that water. Maqsad is something behind that. Maqsad is not the tap. The purpose is not the tap. The purpose is this, the water inside. So as a da'i, every one of us is a tap, 
But we are not maqsood. We are not the actual, you know, desired object here. We should never think of ourselves to be the desired object. The desired object is Allah. Allah's being and only Allah's being. So when a person loves Allah and fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and fears none besides Allah, then they will be affected in his da'wah. And I want to share today some stories. A lot of stories here, okay? About how people who, who feared Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put effect in their words and how they were able to do great work. And so inshallah, we should also have this desire that as I become a da'i towards Allah, I need to be focused on how am I, how am I doing with Allah. At the, end of, at the end of the talk, at the end of your jawla, at the end of your ziyarah, at the end of your you know, booth that you kept outside for some da'wah purpose, how about we check in with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you speak to Allah and say, Ya Allah, how did I do? Right? So this muhasaba, after a talk is done, after a da'wah run is done in, the, in, in, in some conference, after you've done some presentation amongst your family, you sit down and I sit down and you sit with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you see, right? What is my, um, my acceptance by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So, uh, now you'll, you'll see some stories that uh, Dr. Nabulusi here uh, gathers. Uh, stories of ulama who feared none besides Allah. Now, this should not be taken as arrogance. Remember, this should not be taken as arrogance. To say, oh, he's being arrogant. This is literally being a representative of the entire community to stand up to tyrant kings. When you know definitely that when you say what you say, if you upset the king, you're gone. You may definitely not even make it till Maghrib, you know? And mercilessly will be killed. So it's, uh, uh, it's mentioned that Mahdi, the, the Khalifa Mahdi, when he didn't Hajj, he says, Everyone, as soon as the Khalifa Mahdi entered the Masjid al-Nabawi, every single person stood up. Except for Ibn Abi Dhib, rahimahumullah. So one of the uh, uh, companions of Mahdi, the Khalifa, Musayyib bin Zuhair, he said, Qum hadha, Amir al -Mu'mineen. He says, stand up, Amir al Mu'mineen is in the masjid. Now is that the etiquette? You don't have to stand up. Even today the students ask when the teacher walks in, or do you have to stand up? And I said, no. Rasulullah did not want the Sahaba to stand up for him. Hence that is incorrect that when a teacher walks in, people stand up. You should show respect in other ways, but not you don't stand up for that. So, unless he's coming to speak to you, and you know, that's a different thing. And then in that case, if you're sitting, then you stand up. That's a proper etiquette. Be our parents, be our students, etc. When a parent or a teacher comes, then your person is sitting on the floor and speaking, then we should stand up and answer them. So, uh, he said, stand up. And so what was the answer he said? He said, إِنَّمَا يَقُومُ النَّاسُ لِرَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ You quoted the verse of the Qur'an. He said, people are, يَقُومُ النَّاسُ لِرَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ يَوْمَ يَقُومُ النَّاسُ That's a day when people will stand for the Lord of the worlds. We don't stand for anyone else. We stand for the Lord of the worlds. So when Mahdi heard it, he said, دَعْهُ فَلَقَدْ قَامَتْ كُلُّ شَعْرَةٍ فِي رَأْسِهِ He said, it's good leave him. Every single strand of hair in my head is standing on its edge right now. Because it had such a powerful effect on him. On the Khalifa. He said, don't mess with this man. What did he just say? He just said, he reminded me that there's a day when all of us, including me, are going to have to stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? Um, then once, Hisham bin Abdul Malik, the king, Khalifa, he entered. Makkah al-Mukarramah, the precincts of, of, of the Haram, entered the Masjid al-Haram. And then Salim bin Abdullah, rahimahumullah, was there. And so he, the, the, the king, the Khalifa, he told Salim, rahimahullah, Salni haja. Like, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? Can I help you out? So he said, إِنِّي أَسْتَحِي مِنَ اللَّهِ أَنْ أَسْأَلَ فِي بَيْتِهِ غَيْرَهُ 
Oh, Amir al-Mu'mineen, I'm shy. While I'm sitting in the house of Allah, to be asking from anyone besides Allah. We're in the haram. You're asking me, can you do something for me? I'm shy to ask you to fulfill my needs while I'm sitting in the house of Allah, in front of the Kaaba. So, what an Amir al-Mu'mineen. فَلَمَّا خَرَجَ They both left. And when they exited the Masjid al-Haram, قَالَ الْآنَ فَسَلْنِي حَاجَةً Now ask me what you want. Again, Amir al-Mu'mineen wanted to help out or give a gift to this great scholar, Salim bin Abdullah. So Salim said, مِنْ حَوَائِجِ الدُّنْيَا أَمْ مِنْ حَوَائِجِ الْآخِرَةِ What would you like me to ask you? From my, from my needs of dunya? Or, <coughs> or from my needs of akhira? What would you like me to ask you? Oh, what is he going to say? Obviously he can't help him for the akhira. Right? He said, مِنْ حَوَائِجِ الدُّنْيَا I'm here to fulfill any needs of the dunya you have. قَالَ وَاللَّهِ مَا سَأَلْتُ الدُّنْيَا مِنْ مَنْ يَمْلِكُهَا فَكَيْفَ أَسْأَلُهَا مِنْ مَنْ لَيَمْلِكُهَا He said, I swear by Allah, I didn't ask the dunya from the one who actually owns it. Why would I ask the dunya from the one who doesn't own it? La ilaha. I'm coming from the Kaaba, and he is the owner of the world. I didn't ask for dunya from him, for wealth and money and prosperity and this and that. Why would I ask you when you don't even own it? No one else besides him owns it. Done. You, as you go through these stories, I want you to look at not only the answers of these ulama, but look at also the, 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 the priorities of these leaders. That they may have been horrible people in certain aspects, but yet they had a lot of respect in many instances for the scholars. And even if they were doing something wrong, when a scholar would say something, it may have been bitter, but they would take it. It's like, you know what? You're speaking the truth. Right? So that, that's just something to keep in mind. Many times you, you will talk about the horrible the, uh, you know, actions of the leaders of the past. But what we don't realize is sometimes that the fear of Allah that even some of them had is far exceeds the fear of Allah that we have. As a king, when we're nobody in terms of the dunya. There as a king, as Amir al-Mu'mineen still had so much fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So then, uh, one time, another instance, Abu Ja'far al-Mansur, he said to him, these are all stories of khalifas with the ulama of their time. Abu Ja'far Mansur, he told Imam Abu Hanifa, he said, Ya Abu Hanifa, lo tagashshaytana. Abu Hanifa, why don't you come visit us? Come, you know, chill with us. Come visit us. فَقَالَ لَهُ وَلِمَا أَتَغَشَّاكُمْ Why would I come to you at night? Why would I come to you, spend time with you? For what? فَلَيْسَ لِعِنْدَكُمْ شَيْءٌ أَخَافَكُمْ عَلَيْهِ وَهَلْ يَتَغَشَّاكُمْ إِلَّا مَنْ خَافَكُمْ عَلَى شَيْءٍ He says, I've, I've got nothing associated with you. There's nothing I fear that if I don't come to you, I will lose. And the only people who come spend time with you are those people who want something from you and they're afraid if they don't spend time with you, they will lose what they have. Basically, they kiss up to you. That's all they want. Who wants, who wants to go sit with the Khalifa? They want something from him? Or they're scared if we're not super nice and get to know him, he may snatch something away from us. He may cause us problems. Right? So he said, I've got nothing, I've got no expectations from you. I've got no needs of mine tied up with you. So why should I come spend time with you? Malik bin Anas, rahimahumullah with Harun Rashid. Listen to this story. Imam Malik says that, وَجَّهِ إِلَيَّ Harun Rashid. Harun Rashid, the Khalifa again, sent a caller, messenger to me. And he asked me, Harun Rashid, like he said, I want Imam Malik, the muhaddith, the greatest scholar, to anuhadithahu that I should come and teach him hadith. So think about that. The Khalifa wants to learn hadith. He's, he wants to make time to learn hadith. فَقُلْتُ يَا أَمِيرُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ What an answer he gives. 
and I want the students of this knowledge who are listening here and who may listen afterwards, don't start applying this to yourself to say, okay, these are the statements I need to tell people. Because you have to understand that there's a full, a, 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 there's so many variables to this con these conversations. You cannot take them out of context. Right? There's a lot going on here. There's a lot of history. There's thousands of hours of taqwa, tahara, wara, of, of working on your soul and reaching at a state, status where these people have reached. And we're nowhere near there. We haven't even begun that journey actually. So um, what does he tell Amir al-Mu'mineen say to, what does Imam Malik say to the Amir al-Mu'mineen? And he knows if you upset him, you're gone. But what does he say? He said, Oh Amir al-Mu'mineen, inna al-ilm yu'ta walayati. Indeed, knowledge doesn't come to you, rather you come to it. Knowledge is much more significant and more great than for you to order it delivery to your house. You have to travel for knowledge. This is what he's telling the Amir al-Mu'mineen. Right? Uh, I want you to just think about this important point. That today, we're not Amir al-Mu'mineen in terms of any respect to our worldly prominence. We don't have a third of the world, half of the world, one-eighth, one-tenth, or, or even a thousandth of the world under our feet. But the rule was the same. No matter what you own, you show humility to knowledge and the people of knowledge. If a person cannot humble himself in front of a teacher, then knowledge is not for him. Go try something else. That's not just for al-muddin. Even if you want to learn martial arts, you want to learn a sport, something. It is, you cannot go tell the person to say, you know, I'm going to sit in my sofa and I want you to do these things in front of me, these drills, I'm going to watch. It doesn't work like that. You have to get, get yourself off the sofa, get onto the floor, and follow your, your tutor. So especially ilm of deen, we cannot expect it to happen in a home delivery service. We need to go towards the masjid. Many times people may wonder, can I have a, can I, you know, study, can I have someone teach my, my, my children at home? If there's some specific reasons, issues, etc. You know, in certain instances, maybe, fine, that might be good. But there's a whole huge benefit that you cannot get elsewhere besides a masjid while sending your son and daughter to the house of Allah to learn. Those of you who have masjid, masjids that have maktabs in your areas, please, you know, benefit from that. It might take you 20 minutes to go there, but it's well worth it. That 20 minute ride going back and forth is more important and more beneficial. What benefit? Better he would have learned the Quran you know, one hour at home. You can use that. Why waste the journey in the car? Also use that. But the aspect of going to seek knowledge and traveling for 20 minutes to go seek knowledge, that's what you want to teach your children. That's when you want to teach your kids that ilm is something worth traveling. I remember one time I was traveling in one city and, uh, and a student who graduated from our one-year program, he showed up you know, to a talk of mine. I said, SubhanAllah, you're not from this city. How far do you live from here? He said, I live three hours. So I said, you know, how'd you come here? He said, well, I just, mashallah, he just got married a week before. And he, he said, I want to start my marriage life on the right foot. I want my wife to know that when it comes to knowledge, we don't look at distance. Right? We don't look at anything else. When it comes to ilm, this is something I'm ready to make sacrifice for. Even if it means driving three, four hours to go attend one lecture, I'll do it. And that's what the program has taught me, to value ilm wherever it is. Just like for, any, for people traveling three hours to eat pizza, three hours to eat wings, right? Or whatever else. 
So why not al-muddin that a person travels three hours when the people of the past traveled so long for it? So show humility in front of ilm, not the other way around. So then Imam Malik himself says, Fasara ila manzili. Amir al-Mu'mineen shows up to the abode of who? Imam Malik. Okay. Fastanada ma'i fil jidar. Imam Malik at this time was obviously elderly. He said he leaned against the wall. He leaned against the wall with me. فَقُلْتُ لَهُ يَا أَمِيرُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِنَّ مِنْ إِجْلَالِ اللَّهِ إِجْلَالَ ذِي الشَّيْبَةِ الْمُسْلِمِ Imam Malik was elderly. He said, O oh, Amir al-Mu'mineen, it's part of respect to Allah that you respect an elderly Muslim. And here I am teaching and you are what? Doing what? Leaning against the wall. Don't do that. Amir al-Mu'mineen, etiquettes. قَالَ فَقَامَ He stood up. فَجَلَسَ بَيْنِ يَدَيَّ He sat in front of me. فَقَالَ لِي بَعْدَ مُدَّةِ After some time of studying, Amir al-Mu'mineen is telling Imam Malik. He says, Ya Aba Abdullah. That is his kunniya. O Abu Abdullah, تَوَاضَعْنَا لِعِلْمِكَ فَانْتَفَعْنَا بِهِ We humbled ourselves in front of your knowledge, hence we benefited from it. وَتَوَاضَعَ لَنَا عِلْمُ سُفْيَانِ بْنُ عُيَيْنَا فَلَمْ نَنْتَفِعْ بِهِ وَكَانَ سُفْيَانٍ بِيَأْتِيهِمْ إِلَىٰ بُيُوتِهِمْ Right, subhanAllah. He says <laughs> that so-and-so, Sufyan ibn Uyayna, he humbled, the knowledge of Sufyan ibn Uyayna humbled for us. Hence, we weren't able to benefit from him. What, and he says here, the Sufyan used to go to their houses to teach. Sufyan ibn Uyayna, rahmatullah, used to go to their homes to teach. So he said, he humbled for us, we didn't benefit from him. And we humbled for you, hence we benefited from you. What an amazing, amazing lesson here from the Amirul Mu'mineen. Something to think about. For students of knowledge and for those who are teaching and those who are learning. This is filled with much that we can benefit from. Another instance, uh, this is an amazing story as well of, of, uh, of Imam Malik. He says, Harun Rashid qadim al-Madina wa kana qad balagho anna Malik bin Anas indahu al-Muatta yaqra'uhu ala al-Nas. Harun Rashid, when he arrived to Medina, he heard Imam Malik bin Anas is reading his Muatta, he's teaching the Muatta, his collection of hadith to the people. So he sent Barmaki to him and said, Aqrih his salams, give my salam to him, and tell him, Yahmilu ilayya al-kitab. He should bring Muatta to me, fayqarahu alayya, and he should read Muatta to me. Who should? Imam Malik should. So Barmaki came to Imam Malik. So Imam Malik said, Aqrih his salam. Give Amir al-Mu'mineen my salam. وَقُلْ لَهُ إِنَّ الْعِلْمَ يُزَارُ وَلَا يَزُورُ وَإِنَّ الْعِلْمَ يُؤْتَى وَلَا يَأْتِي Indeed, knowledge, it visits, it is visited, it doesn't go on visits. Knowledge is visited, but it doesn't go itself on visits. You come, يُؤْتَى, you come to the knowledge, the knowledge doesn't come to you. Barmaki came to, Amir al-Mu'mineen told him. And then after some time, Malik bin Anas came. And visited Harun Rashid. He sat, he said salam and he sat down. And then he said, uh, Harun Rashid told Malik, "Rabbi I sent someone to call you, and you disobeyed me." Malik said, "Ya Amir al-Mu'minin, Inna Allah Tabarak wa Taala rafa'aka wa jaalaka fi hadha al-mawdi' bi'ilmik. La ilaha illallah. Amazing. What an answer, man." He says, indeed, Allah Most High, He honored you and put you in this status, in this place as Amir al-Mu'mineen, because of your knowledge. 
فلا تكون أنت أول أول من يضع عز العلم فيضع الله عزك Don't be the first one to degrade this knowledge otherwise Allah will degrade you Truth to power, right? Look at this You have what you have because of the knowledge you have oh, Otherwise you don't become meaning just like that Why are you degrading the very thing which led you up to where you are today by asking me to come to you and asking one of your people to come to say, hey, call me, call me and, and for me to read hadith to you in your palace. You are degrading the very means by which you have ascended the throne, which is knowledge. Respect that. So Imam Harun Rashid understood. He went with Imam Malik to his home to listen to Muatta. And he made him sit next to him on the raised, you know, nice cushion. When he intended to have uh, the Mu'atta read, he said, Oh, Imam Malik, I want you to read the hadith to me. Malik said, I'm very old. I haven't recited the actual hadith to anyone. Usually students recite it to me. I haven't recited it. This is, these are various ways of passing of hadith. Sometimes a student reads it to the teacher. Sometimes the teacher reads it to the student. Right? There are multiple ways of doing that. So here, he's saying, I haven't read myself to my students for a long time. He's become elderly. He said, I don't read it. We're going to make sure they bought us, right? He said, I want you to take everyone out. I mean, what we say? To get everyone out of the room, and then I'll read it to you. Because, you know, I'm reading out of, probably Allah knows best. He didn't want to make mistakes or whatever the case may be. He didn't want to read in front of Imam Malik in the presence of other people. These are things to be written with gold. He said, indeed anything, any action, when it is munia, when it becomes restricted for VIPs, khasa VIPs, when anything becomes restricted for VIPs, Allah will not allow those VIPs to benefit from that. The benefit for the VIPs comes when you have open door for everyone. And the VIP and the non-VIP, everyone is sitting there. But when you close the doors and says, no, this is only for a certain group of people, because of you know, whatever reason, then they won't be able to benefit from it. So then Imam Malik had one of his students read for him. Now when... Ma'an bin Isa began to recite it. Imam Malik is sitting there with the king next to him. Malik bin Anas turned to Harun Rashid. He said, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, Adraktu ahl al-ilm bi baladina. I have found the people of knowledge in our town, in our city. Wa innahum layahibbuna tawadu al-ilm. They love to be humble in front of knowledge. So Harun Rashid got off the, the seat, the cushion, and he sat in front Humbly in front of Ma'an bin Isa. Okay. <laughs> to, to listen to the hadith. So look at the tarbiyah that these scholars had and that they were able to impart it upon, upon others. And that's really what our dini system, mashallah, institutions like this where we study and we learn. And we're so blessed to be part of that tradition. Although we are nowhere near where we need to be. But at least when you read and hear stories of this, you understand where you're trying to be. You may wonder, you, want, you walk through a classroom, why are people sitting on the floor? 
Why are people, why is there such an emphasis on, you know, sitting respectfully in front of the teacher, respectfully in front of the book, you know, your posture. Why, why do we focus? Come on, let's get to the main stuff, man. That's Once a student came here, and I shared this story with some of you, and, uh, and it's for the benefit of you, he said, SubhanAllah, he's like, oh, he went and said, what's a special, what's Darussalam? I said, well, there's many institutions of knowledge. We have our own way of doing things. And, um, you know, if you like the madrasa system, the good old traditional system, you like it here. If you don't like that system, then you're more than welcome to go anywhere else. I said, for once, to start off, we sit on the floor. That's one of the things I said. You got to be ready for that. And SubhanAllah, the answer he gave me was, oh, I've been there, done that. I don't need to sit on the floor to get my tarbiyah done. And I said, well, alhamdulillah, you've already answered your question that this place is obviously not for you. And you go find somewhere else. If this is your attitude that I don't need, one is I have my foot hurts me. You know, I got a broken leg or something like that. No problem. But if your attitude is I don't need to sit on the floor because my, I've already studied sitting on the floor too long before. I don't need this for my tarbiyah. I don't need this for my islah. Then this is not what we're teaching over here. What, what, look at the man, Imam Malik, sitting with the Khalifat al-Muslimin. You're not superior to any of these two. What is the method? You think you didn't have kursis, karasi? Why didn't he teach Harun Rashid on the, floor, on, on the chair, man? Think about that. Why didn't he go there and, and put up a nice, you know, nice cushion for him? Well, that's what he wanted. But he said, no, you come here. Now when you come to my house, don't even sit on the cushion, sit on the floor. And sit the way you're supposed to sit in front of the teacher. Then we start learning. If you can't do that, then go figure, it out, figure that out. Do you really want to learn? Right? So these are the beautiful things that we have found from our asatidah that we are, we're so blessed to have institutions, many like this in this country, alhamdulillah, not the only one, where you can study that deen. And everyone says, is, 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 the, is the whole madrasa system about just sitting on the floor? No, it's not. It's not. But it's a very, it, 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 it represents a, a very powerful tradition that has got so many different aspects of it that are focusing on humility and humbleness in front of knowledge. And mashallah, when even non-Muslims come, or even Muslims from different backgrounds, when I explain it to them, they're impressed. They say, well, this is, this is amazing, because we don't, we don't hear this outside of this, in this system. We don't hear about any aspect of humility in front of knowledge, humility in front of, of, in front of the teachers of knowledge. Right? So this is, uh, adab and ihtiram is something that we, we cherish, and we love that we have that Allah selected us to be part of this traditional system of, of teaching and learning. May Allah Azza wa Jal continue to revive this tradition and allow thousands of people to continue to benefit from that. Khair. Izzuddin ibn Abdul Salam. He is with uh, the Sultan of his time. The messenger of the Sultan says, "Bainaka wa bain an ta'uda li manasibika wa ma kunta alayhi wa ziyada an tankasira li sultani wa tuqabbil yadahu la ghayra." He says, Oh, Izzuddin ibn Abdul Salam, great scholar, subhanAllah. He says, Oh, you have, you have been pulled away from your position. The king has snatched away all your power to be able to give durus and whatnot. The king is willing to give you back everything you had, give you the authority to give lectures and more and to write and you know, whatnot. But you just have to do one thing you have to humble yourself in front of the king and kiss his hand and nothing else. He said, Wallahi, I'm miskeen. <laughs> what an answer. He says, oh miskeen, oh poor, he's telling the messenger, مَا أَرْضَاهُ أَنْ يُقَبِّلَ يَدِي فَضْلًا يَدَهُ He says, I will never allow him to kiss my hand, let alone I kiss his hand. يَا قَوْمْ He said, oh people, أَنْتُمْ فِي وَادٍ وَأَنَا فِي وَادٍ You all in a different valley and I'm in a different valley. وَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ الَّذِي عَفَانِ مِمَّ بِهِ 
I thank Allah who has protected me from what He has tested you all with. That you sit there kissing up to the king. And you think that success lies with that. What an answer. I don't want anything to do with these people of power. If he comes to kiss my head, I don't want it. For what? Why would I be willing to humble myself? Because what happens? These people represented the deen of the masses. If they humble themselves in front of the king, basically it means you go on his payroll. You begin to sing to the tune that he wants you to sing. And now you think your fatwa can be untainted? No, you can't. Right? It, it will be, it will be, you have to share the fatwa of the official fatwa of the government. And you won't be able to actually say what you want to say. So, um, this is another beautiful example. Hassan Basri was asked, right, Bima nilta al maqam? Oh, Hassan Basri, how did you reach the status of ilm and, 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 and acceptance amongst the people? I've reached it because I have kept my hands away from the dunya of the people and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have made me in them in need of my knowledge. Got it? So Allah made them in need of my knowledge and alhamdulillah Allah made me self-sufficient from their dunya. So becoming self-sufficient today Students of knowledge will think that one-year students, graduate students will say, I want to become self-sufficient from the people. That's a great idea. Hence, I want to have a business. I want to become rich on my own. What they don't realize, do you think all of these ulama were rich? Tell me. Some of them were. Some of them were. But not all of them. Richness, al-ghina, ghina al-qalb is from the heart. It's not about how much you have in your bank account. It's about how much you have in your heart to say, I don't want what you have. I don't need what you have. I'm not going to look at what you have. You could be earning your own six figures, but still look at what people own with the eyes of envy. Then you're as poor as the rest. You're in need. The key thing about not being in needy of the people's money is not about being wealthy. It's about being wealthy in your heart. To say, I don't need that. I don't desire it. I don't even wish for a second that I have that. And I will never do anything that will make you even accidentally think I want what you have. So this is a really important point. Because shaitan makes us sometimes think that I want to study ilm, but you know what? I don't want to be dependent on the people. So let me spend the next 12 years learning how to make money. Then inshallah by that time, after that I'll come back to learn alif bata. <laughs> right? What a foolish trap, entrapment of shaitan. To make us focus on becoming independent from the people, so he gets us into the dunya. And by the time you finish up, you're good for nothing. 10, 12 years later, what you got left? Infected with what is happening out there. More materialism in our heart than anything else. And it all started off with, I want to become independent from the people. Since when do you have to become rich to become independent of the people? You don't. Nabi Salam didn't own anything much at all. But the most independent of people. Because he was wealthy in his heart. And that's what he showed the Sahaba. And that's what you see with these ulama over here. That they were not afraid of anyone besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the stories can continue. MashaAllah, I'm sure they were inspirational for all of us. But this is where we need to be now focusing on. Every one of you is a da'i. You're a student of knowledge. If you're sitting here on Tuesday nights, you're a student of knowledge. We need to set up a registration too, you know? So then you feel that, MashaAllah, you're, you're, you're coming for a class. But this is what it is. If you're coming for Tuesday tafsir on a regular basis, why are you not a student of knowledge? You definitely are. But the idea is, now you got to take this message, what you heard, and pass it on. So now you became a muballigh and a da'i. And now the third thing is, after you became a muballigh, you have to make sure that you have this khashiya, fear of Allah and none besides Allah. That's what's going to ensure that you don't go here and there. And that you don't mess around. 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sufficient as a reckoner. Keep on thinking about that. That Allah, He knows my affairs. He knows my internal affairs and my external affairs. All of my affairs, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows. And hence, He will judge me based on my intentions. Aisha, is it 9.30? Huh? Okay, so, so we have only 15 minutes. Muhammad is not the natural father of any men amongst you. So this is the answer to those who said, Oh, why can't we call him? Why can't we call him Zayd bin Muhammad? So well, Muhammad is not the natural father from, from any of you. Okay? Of any of the men. The Quran didn't say any of your children, said any of the men. Because by this time Zayd is not a child, he's a man. Right? So the Rasul is not a father, biological uh, or a, a you know a natural father of any of the men amongst you. All the children he had, boys all died anyway when they were young. So none of your men. Zaid is a rajul. Zaid, he's a rajul. He's not Rasulullah is not his father. Okay, what is he? And nor is he the father of not just rijal. Nor is he the father of any of any of the women of the ummah. He is a spiritual father. So that is why he was married to all his wives. If he were to be regarded as a natural father to them, how could you get married to them? Get it? They're from the ummah of Rasulullah They're part of his ummah. But he's a spiritual father to everyone. The girls and the boys, the men and the women. But he is not a natural father to them in a sense that would not allow his marriage to them. So his wives, they were all, you know, obviously uh, uh, under his spirituality. But that's it. Not, not in any other sense. He was a father for them. Walakin. Then what is he? He is a messenger of Allah and the seal of the prophets. The seal of the prophets. Right? Meaning, the last one in terms of his prophethood, in terms of him being sent in this world, uh, he received prophethood the first, but he was sent into this world the last. We know the sources of Sharia. After Quran and Hadith, one of them is Ijma. One of them is consensus of the Ummah and the consensus of the ulama of the ummah. So this is one of the cons issues in which there is consensus upon. That there is no prophet that will come. Or rather this ayah here is referring to Rasulullah being the last final prophet. Not just in terms of being the most complete prophet. But rather being the most, the final prophet. And anyone who says anything beyond that is obviously speaking uh, things that are completely out of the fold of Islam and completely go against the fundamental teachings of our deen. وَكَانَ اللَّهُ بِكُلِّ شَيْنَ عَلِيمًا And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is all-knowing of things. So we do have the Mirzai, Qadiani, uh, uh, you know, group in the world, very active in, in our communities, in social services, in philanthropy. And you should be aware of that. And you need to realize in some of the websites, the biggest websites in the world, are controlled by them. Al-Islam, al-al, you know, hyphen Islam.org is a Qadiani website. I remember one day, like maybe 70 years ago, I did a presentation over here. And on all the websites that are run by, you know, uh, completely non-Muslims or, you know, deviant sects, not, nothing to do with mainstream Islam, either they're Shia or they are Qadiani. Most of, if, I mean, if you do a quick search, you check up a hadith, Google it, I do it many times. I know this myself. The first searches will be these websites, Al-Islam and you know, something else and whatnot. Alhamdulillah, we know that these are absolutely no websites that we don't visit. But what about the rest who don't know this? 
very easily, you can easily start trying to find a fatwa on a, on a, on a Shia website, a fatwa on a Qadiani website, or a reference to a hadith in one of these places. You gotta be very, very, very careful. So your website searching, you know, you gotta be careful about where you're getting your, you're getting your knowledge. It's, not, it's, not, it's not, um, not a joke. Because some of these websites, until you don't take an Aqidah class or studied under someone, or studied a book about what Qadianis are about, I, I promise you, you'll spend 10, 15 minutes on the website and you will not figure it out. That it's Qadiani or Shia. It's so hidden. It's so hidden. Most people will never be able to figure it out. That's the whole purpose. And they've, they've bought these, they probably spend tons and tens and thousands and millions of dollars to make sure their websites come out first in all the searches. So you need to be careful about that. So this fitna of Qadianiyat is not something that's dead, gone in Pakistan and India, whatnot. It's very alive. I met someone, you know, a convert-looking brother who said, Oh, you're Muslim, Salaam Alaikum. So I was like, Oh, mashallah, brother, where do you, where do you go pray? Well, he had no idea, bichara miskin. He's a Qadiani. You're going to pray in the Qadiani, mashallah. I'm like, Ya Allah. Right? So they are, they're working amongst the non-Muslims in Africa, very strong, very, very strong. Kenya and Zambia, Zimbabwe, a lot of strong, strong effort. Millions and millions of dollars being poured in over there by Qadianis. And they're being poured into in various places in Canada and over here as well. They got these huge da'wah centers in East Coast. I've seen their center, some of their centers, massive satellite TV s uh, stations, radio stations, and huge co compounds that they've built in Canada, Europe. The largest masjid in the entire Europe, largest masjid, is a Qadiani prayer place. Largest place. And the government gave it to them. If I, uh, you know, don't quote me on it. You can read it yourself. They got the property for a dollar. Right? And then they built this huge place. You can check it up and read it for yourself when I'm, if, if, you know, if, I, if I remember correctly. So um, many of the Pakistani-born brothers and the India-Pakistani brothers, they know what we're speaking about. But the youth here don't know. It's like, what is that? Isn't that the same thing? So no, it's not the same thing. Absolutely not. You need to be aware. You need to study, study about this. Well, the fundamental thing, they regard Isa, you know, they regard uh, Mirza Ghulam Ahmad as, initially as the Messiah, as Mahdi, first Mahdi, then Messiah, like, the return of Isa, this is him. And then, as a, as a prophet, straight up calling him a prophet. So the beliefs are absolutely, absolutely do not uh, go hand in hand with Islam. Um, and it's definitely something you need to be aware of. So there is a Khatmun Nubuwa movement in Pakistan, in England, and maybe even, even in here in America as well, which is like a movement to uh, reinforce the idea that Rasulullah is the last prophet and to educate people about this fitna. And to educate people about the incorrect aqaid and beliefs of that sect or that group of people. So um, you, we should be aware of it. Youth here especially, don't, you, know, you might meet people. The Qadiani that's going to be in your college, he will be 10 times more educated than an average Sunni Muslim. 10 times more educated. You'll be shocked. You're like, wait, hold on. I, get to, I got to college without even going to Sunday school. What about you? This guy is, knows what he's talking about. He knows exactly how to put doubts all these issues, this ayah is going to be the thing he's going to spend the first hour speaking about. This ayah that we just talked about here. Allah, Rasulullah is being the father. He'll say, no, this translation is incorrect. This is not what it means. And so you had never studied Quran, Tarjuma, or Tafsir, or, or anything. You never even heard of this group. Like, oh, okay. You look like you're Muslim. Your name is Ahmad. MashaAllah. MashaAllah, you even got a little small beard. You usually keep a small beard. And you're vocal about being a Muslim. That's cool. And you're also, they connect all of their humanitarian efforts with Islam. Right? So they're very popular in doing their humanitarian efforts. That's why they're very well liked by you know, governments and, and whatnot. They do a good job of, of you know, philanthropy and social service and whatnot. But they're always, of course, going to be promoting the Ahmadiyya movement, they call it. 
and their, their masajid will have La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah written on top, just to, you know, just in case. <laughs> it's called, you know, which masjid has La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah written? But think about it. You say, but ye to pakki masjid hai. This is the subsequent pakki musliman. These are the best Muslims. MashaAllah, no masjid here I wrote La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. These guys are the real ones. But that's the whole thing. So, so we, we are not, my purpose here is not to demonize anyone. What I'm just trying to say is that don't fall into that. Uh, this is completely, if someone wants to do, call, they would do their own thing, okay, fine. Please don't call yourself Muslim. Do whatever you want. There's a lot of people doing a lot of things out there. But why are you coming jumping in our boat and say, no, we're all, we're all the same. No, we're not the same. We're absolutely not the same. So let's, that's why now when we, when we are lax in this, what's, got, what's happening? Interfaith. In interfaith, you have Christian, Jewish, and Muslim. Okay, we can, we can discuss. But don't bring a Qadiani to the table. And that's what our organizations, unfortunately, sometimes are doing. Because for the average person, he's going to think, oh, it's just another denomination. No, it's not another denomination. This has nothing to do with Islam. Please, we're not on the same table. We don't even align ourselves at the same place here. This is a completely different thing. This is a new, uh, uh, you know, faction you've come about with. And you went, this irtidad and this, this kufr that wasn't there before. You've come up with all of this. This is part of the Dajjaluna Kadhabuna that the Prophet spoke about, that there will be imposters and liars before the Day of Judgment. And he's one of, you know, of the many out there. So warn, uh, prepare yourself. You know, in universities, they are work, do, doing a lot of da'wah work. So you got to be aware of this. Of this fitna, subhanAllah. Um, so we will end here, inshallah. We'll start off from the ayah of dhikr. Um... I haven't done thicker for a few days, so let's do some, inshallah. We haven't done it for the few weeks, I mean. And then uh, we'll continue from ayah number 41 next week. And part of our, our part of our tabligh is that, inshallah, every one of us should try to bring another couple of people next week. And those of you who are listening online or you're out of state, then you make an effort to get a couple other people listen online. And inshallah, those who are listening and who we invited, they may end up benefiting more than us. And may, their lives may end up changing even further, greater than our change. And then alhamdulillah, we will get the reward for whatever change comes from them. So that's something that we should have this concern for others. And I hope Allah makes this dars accepted in His court. And whatever we share today, may He allow myself to put it into practice and allow all of us here to put it into practice as well. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam لا إله إلا الله 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 محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم الله 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 الله
Sallallahu ala Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam 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 استغفرالله استغفر الله 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 الذي لا اله الا هو الحي القيوم واتوب اليه اللهم انت السلام والسلام وبارك على الجلال والكرام اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم عنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا اللهم اشفنا واشف مرضانا ومرضى المسلمين وارحم موتانا وموت المسلمين وانصر المستضعفين من المسلمين في كل مكان ربنا لا تزغ قلوبنا بعد إذا ذيتنا وهب لنا من لدنك رحمة إنك أنت الوهاب سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين Before we go give the adhan I just want to announce for those who are listening online uh, that Alhamdulillah our one year program Inshallah the 10 year intensive will begin this coming Monday August 16th Is it right now as I was entering someone said oh one of my relatives would like to come to check out this week So if any of you are still interested in joining this coming Monday for the one year program the train leaves on Monday So once the train leaves then you can't join in so if you're interested, come by this week, visit us, audit one of the classes, contact the office, contact us here, sister side, brother side, whatever it is, inshallah, and we'll try to accommodate you, inshallah, um, here for the one year, which will be an amazing journey. This will be an amazing class this year. We'll have a huge variety of people from different backgrounds and a large attendance as well. Secondly, our weekend academy will be beginning, inshallah, on the weekend of 20th, 21st of August. So those of you who want to study part-time, tafim program, Saturday morning, Sunday morning, both on-site and online, they'll be starting up in about 10 days. And inshallah, last thing is that the early childhood education, alhamdulillah, you've been waiting for, three-year-old to five-year-olds, that is also starting next week. Here at Salam, the details are on, uh, online. So this is like the full eight to five or eight to three, rather, program for younger kids, um, three to five-year-olds. Their pre-K and kindergarten is going to be, alhamdulillah, starting here at last. Um, so a lot of excitement here, a lot of effort is being done to prepare the classroom and the teachers and things of that sort. So please do check up the website or reach out for details, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.